Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. I'm your host, SK Vaughn. This is a community of women supporting women. Every other Thursday, tune in to hear from ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We'll cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you're a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. So buckle up, girlfriend. Let's do this. Do me a favor and take out your phone as you're listening to this episode on the podcast. Give a screenshot and then post it to your stories. Don't forget to tag the ladies who lead and we'll be sure to share some love and share it on our Instagram. This is a fun way just to um, let us know that you're listening and give us that feedback. Thank you for your continued support and stay tuned for the rest of this episode. Nicole Beecham is an assistant professor of marketing at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She holds a PhD in marketing from the University of South Alabama. Her research has appeared in the Journal of Services Marketing and Go-To Market Strategies for Women Entrepreneurs. Nicole has been in digital marketing for 13 years, starting out as a freelance writer and ultimately creating and running a digital marketing agency, all before going into academia. She has a sweet five-year-old daughter who was adopted through foster care, and Nicole loves all things coffee. Well, welcome to the podcast, Nicole. I'm so excited that you're here with us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, every episode, I always kick off with how are you surviving and thriving this week? And so I'll just go first while you're thinking through that. How am I surviving this week? Great question. I would say I'm just surviving in this season of being the new kid on the block. Um, I just joined a new company. They're an amazing agency, and I'm so excited about the opportunities that we have as an agency as we're continuing to grow and bring on new clients. But with that being said, I have still a lot to learn. And so that's exciting. You know, I think you can seek opportunity in every challenge. And so that's just my uh, personal motto this last week or so and excited about it, but truthfully still kind of surviving through all of just the new processes, the dynamics. If you know me, I'm kind of a, which is funny, professionally, if you know me, I'm more of an observer. (laughs) And then I kind of will butt in with my two cents eventually. If you know me personally, I'm usually, you know, I don't really hold back too much. And so just trying to figure out how to navigate in this new season. And then how am I thriving this week? Well, I must say the two weeks in between the two jobs was amazing and just very thankful for a really nice, relaxing beach trip with my husband. We went all through 30A, Rosemary. Um, It was so beautiful. We ate our way through the whole thing. It was great. Lovely. Um, Just a really fun time to celebrate his birthday and just kind of this new season of life and just kickstarting that. And so that's how I'm currently surviving and thriving this week. What about you, Nicole? Yeah, I love that. I think the first one to go with is definitely surviving. And for me, it's like as we move back into the new semester, I'm a professor and just thinking about going back into the classroom and wearing masks again. I'm just surviving there, you know, like I was hopeful that COVID would be long gone. And so I'm just trying to cope with the fact that here we go again. Um, Yeah. And so I kind of hate that. So it's definitely where I'm surviving right now is just 
COVID and where things are yet again. And then in thriving, I think for me, it's definitely been a season of balancing, you know, my professional life and my personal life, being a mom in particular with self-care. And so it's being able to maybe for the first time in my life, prioritize that self-care and making sure that I am taking care of myself, listening to my body and kind of, you know, moving forward in the path of, of healing and, you know, transformation and making sure that, I mean, I guess the easiest way to put this is like my oxygen mask is on so that I can actually take care of everybody else. And so that's how I'm thriving right now. It's just diving in and leaning into that. I'm glad that you're able to kind of speak to that and just being really real and authentic. And if you know, Nicole, like she is the most humble, incredible, like always giving to others, um, just incredible hands down person. And so I'm glad to hear that you're finally prioritizing you in all this craziness of life. So good for you. Yeah. I feel like finally is, it's kind of the story of my life, um, which I know <laughs> we're going to dig a little bit more into, but yeah, it's, it's been such a heavy, but healing season for me. And, you know, to start actually finally taking care of myself is just been, it's been really great. It really has been. Yeah. I love that. Switching gears a little bit. Tell us your story. Oh, such a loaded question. Um, I think professionally, my story has been the most crazy path. Um, I ended up getting my undergrad degree in psychology, and then I thought I was going to go into industrial organizational psychology. And I did that for a semester. And then I ended up getting married and started doing some digital marketing on the side just because we were, you know, a newlywed couple and we did not come from money, either of our backgrounds. And so I started writing content and over time, um, even going through getting my master's degree and my first job, I was just doing content marketing. I was writing descriptions of everything from pajama bottoms, which is kind of insane to think about nowadays, but that was what I got started in to, you know, medical self-help articles. And just as that has kind of grown and evolved, um, I decided to leave my job at UAB at the time and started my own little digital marketing agency. And then that merged to create an even bigger digital marketing agency. I did that for about, five years and decided to go back and get my PhD because I just really love being in the classroom. I love teaching specifically digital marketing. I have a heart and a passion for really just helping people grow and to change their life, um, which kind of goes back to my personal story, which I'll speak to more in a second. So yeah, professionally, it's just kind of been this really weird evolution from learning about psychology to moving into marketing just because of a need, a need to, you know, develop and you know, provide for my family at the time, which was me and my ex-husband now, then all the way through that, just, you know, loving, finding out what I love and who I am and what my calling is and jumping back into the classroom and teaching and researching and marketing. So it's been a pretty organic path that I definitely would never have predicted that I would be in marketing. That's for sure. And then personally, and I know we're going to talk more about this, but it's just been a very, strange journey. I would just say that I did not realize until recently just kind of what my childhood was like and how that's made me the person that I am today. And I'm very fortunate now to be a mother of a beautiful little girl who I adopted out of foster care. And yeah, I just, I kind of love what I'm doing professionally and I love what I'm doing personally. And I did not 
I could not have imagined even five years ago being in the position I am today. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. I think that's, there's a lot of just real conversation and truth and, and just, it's funny in some ways how you, you jump into a career, not really sure where it's going to take you. And then just decisions lead you down a certain path. And it's just um, incredible to see all the work that you've been able to do. Cole is a mentor of mine, as well as a friend you do an incredible job of like naming that and recognizing that and allowing it to help you kind of lead yourself and others really well. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I feel like that's been kind of like a life, a life lesson that was learned. Um, and you named that like in some ways a really hard way, but the beautiful thing about that is the ability to take those lessons and to hopefully help other people. So explain to our listeners who may not be aware, like what is your current role and And what does your day-to-day look like? Like what gets you up in the morning and makes you want to do what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Currently, my five-year-old gets me up in the morning. Uh, Sometimes that is a gentle, hey, mommy, I want to cuddle with you. And sometimes it's literally my child walking through the house, flipping on light switches and telling me to get out of bed, Um, which is kind of a funny thing. But I would say that in the summer, it's, it's a little bit different. I think that a lot of my time, I mean, being a professor, it's just, it's the schedule's so strange. So right now I'm teaching an online class and, you know, I get up in the morning and I spend time kind of grounding myself, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of Bible study, just trying to get my head in the right place. And then from there, it typically ends up being me, you know, replying to emails from students and making sure I have everything planned out for the fall, which is kind of the big deal right now, grading, things like that. And then a lot of consulting. I think that one thing about me is I want to always have a foot in industry. And I think that sometimes when it comes to academia, we can get kind of in our own head and talk to ourselves a lot. And so something that I've always wanted to do, even as I ventured from agency world into academia is I want to keep a foot in industry so that one, I'm bringing relevant things back to the classroom. And then two, I'm also able to take things from academia and put it back into industry. So my typical day honestly, whether it's the fall or the summer is really going to be something related to teaching. So whether that's grading or class prep, something related to research, which may be, you know, reading articles or coming up with models of things that I want to actually test and statistically analyze, or it may be just be consulting. So maybe coming up with a search engine optimization strategy for a local company. Um, Nowadays, I feel like a lot of it is remote, which is kind of strange, but you know, after COVID, that's just kind of where we're at. You know, how did you get into the world of exploring trauma? And you kind of mentioned a psychology background, which led you into marketing, but really kind of what sparked that interest in exploring further? So back in the end of 2019, um, I ended up going through a divorce. And during that time, like the first thing I knew was like, you know what, I need to be in therapy. Like this isn't something that I want to walk through along. I want to be very proactive and coming from a psychology background, I obviously realized like the importance of counseling, the importance of therapy and, you know, just making sure that I'm grounded, especially having a child going through that process. So I started um, seeing a therapist and one of my friends recommended this podcast to me. It is called The Place We Find Ourselves. It's by Adam Young. And I cannot recommend this podcast more. It has been a completely life-changing experience for me. I listened to the first few episodes and it just made sense. Like I was able to finally, maybe for the first time in my life as like 34 year old, yeah, 34 years old, be able to realize 
just what my childhood was like, the effect that, that it has had on me, um, and the good ways of the things that the ways that I am today because of that childhood, but also the things that I want to continue to grow and to improve upon. And Adam Young, for those not familiar with the podcast, he was actually trained out of the Allender Center, which is out in Seattle, the School of Psychology and Theology. And it's just a really great program that focuses on a couple of things. One is being able to go back to your childhood stories and telling them in narrative format. But I think that's really important. And I think that sometimes goes overlooked, even in the counseling and therapeutic arena, is the ability to have that attunement and that relationship. And whether that's with friends or whether that's with your family or even a therapist, like you have to explore that trauma while remaining in the presence in order to actually heal from it. And it's just the psychology, the science behind it, the ability to literally take those neurons that have been traumatized from your childhood memories, or, you know, it could be PTSD from something that happened um, in 9-11 or even out at war um, in Iraq or Afghanistan, any of that stuff. It basically, if, if you actually tune to those stories in the presence of someone who is listening to you, hearing you, seeing you, those neurons scientifically actually become repaired. And so it ends up being one of those situations where you can actually change the course of your life through the science of that, which being an academic, the science aspect is kind of what drew me to that um, while also going through some personal things. Sure. And kind of explain to us, you know, I myself have also gone to therapy, highly recommend. Um, I think everyone could benefit from going at some point in their life, but you know, how freeing is it to finally like be able to name childhood trauma? And then how, let's just get real. How painful can it truly be to have to kind of relive some of those things? And, and what are some ways or best practices or techniques that you yourself have found that have been really helpful for you in kind of having to go back to the past and heal from that? Girl, it has been uh, such a hard season. Um, I think as you revisit those things from your past, so many things are brought up to your, to your conscious awareness, maybe things that you haven't thought about before, or even, I mean, this last week I went to an Airbnb, a bed and breakfast for a couple of days by myself. And I'm like laying in the middle of the pool, literally by myself, there's nobody around. And a memory from my childhood just popped up and I'm like, and now I have to deal with that. So it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. Like it is really hard work and I cannot reiterate more the importance of finding a therapist, a counselor, someone who can help you walk through that, who can, you know, engage those stories, engage those narratives with you. Like that has been unbelievably life-changing for me, but yeah, I mean, it is hard. It's hard work. It's hard to, to name things. And I'm sure we'll get a little bit deeper into this throughout the podcast, but to be able to look back and say, my parents, both my mom and my dad, they lived in trauma. And as a result, they did me a disservice in many areas of my life growing up. And as a result of that, I've had to deal with a lot of things that I should not have had to deal with. And whether that's learning to truly be loved, to truly be seen, to truly be heard, to be able to trust other people, you know, have my best interests at heart. Those are things that I have had to learn and am continuing even today to learn the hard way. It's not, it's not easy work. It is a lot of really hard work, but the way that I kind of look at it is like, this is generational change. Like this is where 
this is where it stops. Like, you know, that's the generation that my parents lived through. And I can say that maybe they did their best that they could with what they had to give, but I can also name at the exact same time, that wasn't enough for me. And it did me a lot of harm. And I think the ability to name those two things coexisting has truly opened up my our world to being able to heal, to being able to take steps forward and to make sure that I am not parenting my kid in that same way, that I'm creating a generational change, that my kid can grow up in a secure household where she knows she's loved, where she knows that she can come to me about anything and where she knows that she is 100% safe. Yeah, that's powerful. And how have you allowed your past, like healing from that, how have you made sure that you're leading others well in the present, but even thinking beyond just in the household, like even in your career, how are you mindful of that? And how are you making sure that you're leading others well and treating them well in the process? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, Weirdly enough, and this answer would have been completely different two months ago for me, just being completely honest with you. But I think it first starts with our personal boundaries. Like people are going to treat us the way that we allow them to treat us. And it, it really just depends. Like when people come out of households of trauma, a lot of times you tend to go in one or two directions and I'm not speaking scientifically, like I'm not an expert in this. I mean, my PhD is in marketing. I can talk about that all day long, but just from my experience, from what I've seen from people who I've interacted with, when you come out of trauma, you're either going to allow people to treat you in ways that they shouldn't. And that's kind of where I've fallen, right? So I have been there for other people. I have definitely, um, I'm loyal to a fault. Like I will be there for my friends at all costs and I will, you know, be the first person to show up and that will, you know, reach out to them and make sure things are going okay. And honestly, the thing that has been in terms of looking at my past and now applying it to my present and then looking towards the future, the biggest thing for me has been setting boundaries of being able to speak out, whether it's to friends or to, I mean, my parents, even as recently as this week saying, no, you can't say that to me. You can't treat me that way. I'm not going to allow that. And the really awesome thing about that is that sets an example for everyone around you. And this is speaking a little bit off the cuff. And so again, I'm not an expert in this, but I think that women and I've experienced this myself, like we're told so many times that when we feel things like we're feeling too much, or when we say things like it's not acceptable compared to maybe a male who would say the exact same things, or maybe it's overbearing, or maybe it's too abrasive. And the reality is, is like, that's not true. Like it is well for us to name this is how you can treat me. This is how you can't treat me. This is what is acceptable. And this is what is not acceptable. And I've I've found that as you do that, people, one, they're going to look up to you. Two, I think the authenticity is something that's missing. And I will go ahead and just blindly say that I think that's a big issue in the Southeast, especially in the Southeast Bible Belt, is being able to be truly authentic and say, you know what, I'm not okay right now. And this is what I'm struggling with. And honestly, I've just found Um, that the more authentic I am, the more I stick up for my own boundaries, the healthier everyone is around me. So whether it's someone who is directly reporting to me at work or whether it's, you know, just my friends or people that I'm leading in um, a church small group, I think that that leaning into here's my trauma, here's what it's done to me, here's who I am, 
here's where I am. Here's what I'm struggling with. That has allowed me to develop even more authentic relationships, which has been freeing in terms of not only the way that I lead, but I think also the way that the people around me lead. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a relatively new thing. I think that the generation below us, Gen Z, has been very aware of mental health issues. And I mean, we can look at the Olympics even to see kind of that recently. And I just think for millennials, so our generation and um, those older than us, that's been a battle. And so I think that the more authentic we are, the more open people are. And then the more real we have in terms of leadership, in terms of, I mean, let's call it followership, I guess. But for me, it just looks like being a team player. Yes. I love what you're saying about authentic leadership. And I think it's easier said than done. Um, I think we have to get out of this mindset and this mentality of perfection and not letting people see us sweat because at that point in time, they'll deem us as not valuable. Yeah. And maybe that's, it's different for different people in, in leading in an authentic way. But if you could define authentic leadership and you kind of already alluded to it, like what is your definition of leading authentically? Yeah, I think, being authentic simply means being where you are. And I think that the way that I grew up in particular for me, I, and I I kind of hate to name this just to be real with you, because I mean, there's a chance that, you know, my parents listen to this podcast at some point in my life, but I mean, that's a risk I'm willing to take. When I grew up, I kind of had to attune to my parents and everything was about making sure they were okay and making sure they had what they need. And me, who I was, ended up getting pushed to the back burner. And so when I say being authentic, it's everything from empowering in terms of like being who you are. Like it is okay if you're not okay one day. It is okay if you need to cry. It is okay if you're mad. It is okay if you're angry. And you know what? It's okay if you're really excited and you just want to jump up and down. I think being authentic is taking away the societal pressures, taking away everything that we think we're supposed to be and who we're told we're supposed to be and just being who you really are and knowing that the people who are real, the people who are there, they're going to be there for you even if you're struggling. They're going to be there for you on your best days and they're going to be there for you on your worst days. And so when I say being authentic, it's like literally how are you? How are you coming to this meeting? How are you coming to class today? How are you coming to this therapy session? Like really, truly, where is your heart? And being able to provide a safe space for people to answer that question again with authenticity, with integrity, with just who they are as a person and where they're at in that moment and it being okay. Yeah. And I even think if you're in a position where you can't be your authentic self, I think that's a huge red flag. And in the bosses or the leaders that you may report to at this point in time or that you work alongside, if they can't get on board with you challenging, you being yourself, you being bold and leading fearlessly to an extent, like I think that those are, again, like opportunities to then say, you know what, well, if, if that's not your your bag, then I'll find somewhere else that really appreciates my authentic self. And I think everyone who's listening really owes themselves that much, the freedom in yes, which and to work and to live. Yeah. And I would even say maybe taking it to the next level, like 
not being in an environment, whether it's at work or whether it's in your home life, whatever it is, not being in an environment where you can truly be yourself is it, it destroys you. Like it literally destroys who you are to your core. And I mean, that's something that again, I've just learned within the last year and a half, but it's so very important. I think it's, it's vital to who you are. It's vital to who, who you are as a person and how you function in society. Yeah. And so going back to your consulting days and you still consult from time to time, how do you bring in authentic leadership and transparency into those working relationships? I'm all about integrity. And I mean, I I can't speak for many careers, but I can definitely say in digital marketing, there are a lot of agencies out there who will pretty much offer the moon and make really crazy claims and charge outrageous amounts of money. And so for me, what that kind of looks like is just being real. It's like, sometimes I can, you know, hear a business pitch or I can hear an idea of someone in, it could be a close friend of mine, even that has this like great business idea. And sometimes I just have to be like, Hey, I, I don't think I can help you. Like, I'm not sure that your idea is actually going to go forward. I don't think it's going to be very successful. Here are some people that may be able to help you if it is, but I think, where I am in my life today is if I'm going to work with someone, it's going to be a company I believe in. It's going to be people I believe in, and it's going to be people that I think I can truly help. And in digital marketing in particular, I think that's pretty rare because we can all say we're going to do search engine optimization for your website, or we're going to create some social media posts for you and put some boosting budget behind it. But the reality is, is like, are you really doing something that helps that business? Are you really doing something that helps them grow And are you being authentic about what you're even offering to that company, as opposed to here are 10 things that we offer to everyone, you can choose from these 10 things and we'll offer them to your company as well. That's a great point. And I think in the agency world, there's, there's the good guys and the bad guys, right? There's the good guys who really do have your best interest at heart and who are leading from a place of, of actual like empathy with what you're going through. Like me as most of my career, I was in-house marketing, right? And me going to the dark side, I like to call it, which is agency life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I knew immediately that I wanted to go to that side because I wanted to advocate for those marketers who were in-house. Like I, I knew what it was like when you felt like you weren't able to make big changes and that you felt like you really needed somebody to really, um, walk with you and support you in a way. And I feel like what an opportunity agencies have, but there's, it's not to say that there aren't people who are out there trying to just upcharge, you know, upsell everything and, and cash in on your lack of knowledge. And so I think that exactly in marketing, like authentic leadership, transparency, integrity are such core pillars to actually being a true partner in a mutually beneficial relationship when it comes to marketing. Yeah. I mean, and you name that so well, it's like, just like everything in life, right? Like you have friends that are truly there for you. And then you have friends that are kind of in it for what they can get out of you. And it's the same thing with agency life. And you happen to be plugged into an agency that, I mean, I personally know and trust. And I mean, I, I know that there's a heart behind that to actually truly help businesses. And I would just encourage anyone, especially people looking for marketing in particular, like there's certain things that you just kind of look for. One is, do they really know your business? Can they speak to, you know, what your core target audience is and who you're trying to go after? And if, if you sit down with an agency, you can tell really quickly whether or not they get 
commitment, whether or not they truly care and whether or not they're speaking to you or if they're kind of speaking from a script. And so um, I'm actually really glad that you're, and you and I have talked about this, but I'm so glad that you're into agency life because I think that there's just such a huge learning opportunity there. And then more importantly, there's just a need like digital marketing changes so quickly and it's really hard for an in-house person in-house person to keep up with everything that's going on all the changes all the new trends and that's kind of a benefit that the right agency can actually bring to that marketing department and actually relieve the burden from an in-house marketing person but I mean just like you said it really just depends on making sure you find the right agency with the right fit with the right values so the general services marketing piece, that was me and some co-authors, and we were kind of looking at um, other services, like basically looking at service failure and what other customers think about it. So putting that in complete layman's terms, is like if you're at Best Buy and you see that a customer has a bad experience, you as the other customer who's not really engaged in that experience, what does that kind of look like and kind of mirroring it onto social media? And then looking at the second one that you mentioned, the women's entrepreneurship, oh, man, that was just such a great experience. I ended up getting asked to contribute a chapter to that by my dissertation co-chair, um, which is kind of a weird statement to even make at this point. And her name's Vicki. She's absolutely incredible, a really big mentor to me. And she asked me to write this chapter. And I literally wrote a chapter about how women entrepreneurs can use digital marketing and kind of what that looks like. Like, how can you use LinkedIn, for example? How can you use your existing network in order to start promoting your business? Which, ironically enough, SK, I feel like with the podcast, you've kind of dove into this completely. I mean, just taking the podcast and being able to promote it to other people and other women and being able to expand that network. And there's there's a lot of different academic theories out there, which are well beyond the scope of this podcast or this interview. And it's just been really cool to take what's being discussed in academia, taking the real world experience that I've had and kind of merging those two. One, being able to contribute in academia, but then two, also taking those academic contributions and making them available to people in what I would call the real world, the practitioners, the people that are working in these areas day in and day out. And that gap continues to be um, really difficult to bridge. I mean, I think that most academic articles are behind paywalls. And so for me, it's how do I write these academic articles? Because that's what I need to do in order to get tenure. And because that's what, you know, academia tells me I have to do. But then also, how do I write complementary articles or chapters like in that book where I'm talking to practitioners and he helping to take those academic theories and practices and research and, you know, being able to take that into industry and being able to make changes on that scale while also helping the students understand those concepts as well. How can you use your network to leverage the relationships you already have? And I think that's so powerful and so important. And I think it's a, it's a, even a bigger conversation of women supporting women, right? Like, I think that if we want voices heard, if we want women to have a seat at the table, if we want more opportunities, it starts right there. And I think the more that we support one another, the more that we lift each other up and provide solutions and opportunities for women just like us to do bigger and better things than, than you know, their mother, grandmothers, women before them, like what a powerful tool we have for future women to come like the academic literature shows that males are going to be more successful in everything from um, raising venture 
capital funding to having a diverse network. And, you know, women, we, we typically don't have that. We typically don't have as diverse of a network. And so it's, how do we, how do we do better about that? How do we diversify our network? How do we make sure that we're not just reaching out to family and friends, but we're reaching out to other women who are maybe lawyers or other women who are skilled in entrepreneurship or are able to help us patent our ideas. And I mean, that was one of the things that we were kind of looking at in that, in that book was like, how do we look at what we're doing and how do we expand our network beyond what we typically as women think of as our network, which is our close-knit family and friends? How do we expand beyond that? Because that's where entrepreneurship really takes off. I love that. And you even have to look at it like women make up a majority of the buying decisions in the household. And so it's just, it's a no brainer that we wouldn't continue to support women who have ideas that we're going to gravitate towards and latch onto and that will actually be really helpful. And, and I'm not knocking the men out there. I love men. I'm just saying like, there's a place for you too. There's a place for all of us, but I think really positioning ourselves in a way that really shows, okay, we have value, we have intellect and man, do we have grit and determination to see it through. And so it's really powerful to to kind of hear your, your research and, and thoughts behind that. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think that as we move forward, it's going to be one of those things where women are going to continue to gain ground, right? And women are going to continue to support each other. And we're going to see some incredible success, especially compared to the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah. And I appreciate the shout out to the, the podcast, little, the little nod there. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been kind of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way? I mean, we kind of dove into like your background of psychology to relationships, to your past, even looking at um, going from academia to the simple days where you were writing about pajamas (laughs) to, um, to where you're at now and even agency life. Like what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned that you can take away from all of that? So it's weirdly going to go back a little bit to the to trauma information, honestly. And for me, I, I feel like growing up, I had to look out for myself and I had to take care of myself. And I kind of got my value and worth to some degree based on work and my ability to do well in work, my ability to do well in school. And so the lesson that I really learned the most is just the power, the importance, the ability ability to truly be myself in all circumstances. And I mean, I'll be real with you. Like I am a very sarcastic person, as you well know. And I'm also, I would say that I'm, I'm a quick thinker. Like I'm someone who I can take things and problems and solve them very quickly. And I'm also super gentle and super kind hearted, but you know, at the same time, it's been one of those things where I have had to learn, especially the last couple of years, to appreciate and to love those things about me. Being vulnerable, reaching out and, you know, saying to my friends, hey, I'm not having a good day. I kind of just need you to be in my corner. That is so foreign to me. And that is something that has been very difficult just based on what I lived through, right, for so many years. And I mean, my marriage is part of that. So, you know, you're looking at 33 years of living in a life where I'm taking care of everyone and I'm not letting anyone take care of me because that's kind of the, what I was taught. That's kind of what I had to do. So the biggest lesson I've learned is being able to let other people be there for me too, to being able to 
you know, look at some friendships, some family relationships, which is really the hard one and being like, this isn't serving me well. And I'm going to step away from that because I deserve better than that. I deserve to be treated with more respect. I deserve to be treated um, with more kindness. And part of that has also been being kinder to myself because when you're raised in a household where you kind of feel like you have to do X, Y, and Z and be perfect in all these areas and take care of everyone else and your own feelings are too much or they're, you know, you're not enough. And I think that most women can resonate with feeling too much and not enough. And that's not okay. You know, like that's not right. That's not okay. And that's not reality. So the biggest lessons I've learned really is just being true to myself and being able to hold the tension of hope. So looking to my present, looking to my future, being able to see things and hope for things that are going to be different, but also having to hold at the very exact moment, the grief of all the years where those things weren't true, of all the years where to be completely vulnerable. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel seen or understood when I was growing up um, and to a large part of my marriage. And so being able to lean into that now and be like, all right, the trauma world teaches you that you kind of live in two different realities. You live in the present where I am loved. I have amazing friends. I have an incredible network. I have so much support around me. I have an incredible job. I have a fantastic daughter. I am supported. I am understood. I am heard. But at the same time, the other part of my brain is still living in that trauma environment. And so it's trying to integrate those together and being able to stay in the present And you asked this a little bit earlier, a lot of that's mindfulness, a lot of it's meditation, grounding, um, you know, prayer, being able to like physically, you know, touch something or look at the flowers and just pay close attention to the thorns on the roses. So grounding myself in the present. And that has been the most life-changing thing that's happened for me, for sure. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned just in terms of being able to take the past, integrate it with the present and allow those two things combined to kind of change and direct my future. Wow. That that's a big one. And I think that we all wrestle with that in our own way. And I just really appreciate your vulnerability and willingness to speak the truth and, and to share your heart and the challenges with that, because it's a very real thing we all go through. However, it's not something that is an easy conversation to have. And so I just really yeah, appreciate your willingness to share that. Yeah, of course. Of course. You have fostered to adopt. What is the best thing about being a mom? And what was that journey like? Because I'm sure there were ups and downs. Yeah, man. Um, that is such a deep and like intimate question for me, um, but I'm going to enter it because one, I care about you. And then two, I, I just, again, leaning into that vulnerability. I think for me, we, me and my ex-husband, we tried for a while to have a kid. And I mean, I remember every single month going to, you know, the bathroom and peeing on a stick and, you know, finding out that I was having my period and just crying because I just wanted so desperately to be a mom. And then, it's, it's really a long story, but ultimately we ended up getting into foster care and I just felt very much led to do that. And so we, we had fostered before it was a like third or fourth cousin of my ex-husband and we fostered her for about a year and she had a lot of issues. It was very, very, very difficult. Foster care is one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced in my life, but one of the most 
difficult things I've ever experienced in my life. It is a very broken system. Um, I can name that in particular for Alabama. I can't speak for anywhere outside of the state. It is very not integrated. I would say disorganized and backwards in many ways. Um, But for my current child, what happened ultimately is we ended up getting approved in November or should have been approved in November to you know, be reapproved for a foster care and be able to bring home my baby and ended up taking until March. And we ended up finding out in March, it was like the end of our middle of March that we were going to be able to get uh, Mia, her name's Mia now. And so we found out we we're going to bring her home from the hospital. And I just remember the thing that has been the most life-changing for me, and I'm going to take this into her spiritual direction, not intentionally, but that's just because where this, where this goes is I was holding my child. It's probably the second or third day and like, she's just a foster baby at this time, but I knew to my core that she was going to be my kid. I just, I just knew, and I really have no ability to explain that. And I remember holding her and just crying. And I was like, God, I'm so like, I love her so much. And I remember God telling me very clearly in that moment and to think I love you so much more. And that seems like kind of a, a just a random statement to make, but again, coming from my traumatized past and you know, my trauma brain and the way that I was raised, it has been very difficult for me to view God as a loving God, um, as opposed to a judgmental God or a disciplinarian God. And so being able to hold my child and just know how much I love her and know that there's literally nothing that she could ever do to change how much I love her and how much I will fight for her and being able to finally, maybe for the first time in my life at 30 something years old, be able to understand like, that's how much God loves me that was massively life-changing. Like that's something that I'll never forget. I know where I was. I know how I felt. I know exactly what she looked like. So that personally has been a massive change in my life and has grounded me in so many ways that I didn't think was possible. But to kind of answer your question of um, what's being a mom like, I mean, it took three years to adopt her. And in those three years, like it wasn't easy. There were times when, you know, we thought she was going to go to like some random fourth or fifth or sixth cousin. There were times when an alleged father came forward. I mean, it was just a very difficult process. And like to have my entire heart, like literally the being of my child, my entire heart in my hand and knowing at any moment I could lose her for three years was so unbelievably difficult. But I can say as hard as it is, it was all worth it. Like she is she's amazing. Um, she's incredible. She is the sweetest little kid. She's very well adjusted and she's just the most conscientious, kindest child in the entire world. And I mean, that's not to say that being a mom is easy, especially being a single mom. Some days it's really freaking hard, but like, I wouldn't change it for the world, but I will say like foster to adopt, like that's not, Oh, I would choose it all over again, 5,000 times to have my daughter, but it is a very difficult road. And I've had foster kids that, you know, I had them straight out of the hospital and I had them for an entire year and thought we're going to adopt them. And last minute they leave. And it is, it's hard and it's so painful. But what I keep going back to is how much those kids need that love and that consistency the first couple of years of their life scientifically. And so I don't know, it's one of those things where I can honestly look back and say I'm thankful I wasn't able to have kids um, for whatever reason that was, whether that was me or my ex-husband, you know, the medicine he was on, whatever that reason was, I am so thankful 
that that was my story, despite how hard it was, because I don't feel like I would be in the position where I am now to be able to look at my child and like just have so much love for her and such a desire to continue to help foster kids moving forward. Wow. What a powerful story. I mean, I know foster care is so rewarding, but so challenging. And so um, clearly it has worked out well for you, but did not have its ups and downs, of course. And so, so glad that you are a mom and that you get to share in that love and, and continue to pour into your little girl. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you define success? Like, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. I know it means different things for different people. That's why I enjoy asking it because I think success looks different for everyone and we all measure it differently, but yet we're all held to some expectation of it. And so how would you define success for yourself, Nicole? Yeah, I love this so much. So I would have said two years ago, if you were to ask me the same question, I would say working as hard as you could and having the utmost integrity in everything that you do um, and, you know, loving what you do. And I would say that still today, but I would say the most important part, like none of that really matters if you don't know who you are, if you're not your true authentic self, if you're not giving that to your family, if you're not giving that to your colleagues, the people that you work with, if you're not giving that to the world, then I think that does such a disservice for yourself as well as everyone around you. So I would now say that the definition for me of success is just being who you are, listening to your body, honoring what your body needs. And sometimes that's to say, Hey, I can't hang out with you tonight or no, I can't go to this event and to, I don't know, go to the spa or go just spend time with your family. And that is what truly matters. And I think that in our world and our society, and again, two years ago, I would have been in this exact same place. We're just so busy and so caught up in everything. But for me, success now is as long as I'm true to myself and as long as I am, you know, the version of myself that, you know, loves other people and again, loves myself. That's something that I've had to learn. And that's not something I would have said easily a couple of years ago that I'm being successful and it may not be success by the world standard, but I'm to the point where like, I don't really care what the world says about that. I just care about, am I okay? Are my friends okay? Is my family okay? Are we actually authentically living who we truly are, even when it's hard? And if so, then I think we're being successful. It's time for the rapid fire game. It's the leading ladies we love. So get excited. This is uh, a fun game where I'm going to list out some adjectives that describe um, just different women out there in the world. And I would love for you to shout them out and share some love. And so are you ready for this? Yeah, man, let's go. All right. First word is leader. Yeah, I'm going to say um, teachers. And I specifically, when I say teachers, I mean middle school, high school, elementary school teachers. And specifically for me, it's it's Miss Gray. I mean, she she saw me when I think a lot of other people didn't. And she saw my leadership potential, nominated me for a leadership conference, which ultimately got me a scholarship um, to college away from home, which is where I desperately needed to be. And so I think that our teachers do not get enough credit for being the true leaders they are and to actually pouring into people's lives the way that they truly do. Next word is intelligent. Yeah, I'm going to go with my spiritual mentor. Um, Her name is Linda. She's incredible. And I think she's just been someone who has helped ground me in so many ways and who's able to, you know, take the things of this world and 
kind of also show me the spiritual path forward with them instead of just being, you know, it's so easy to get lost in today's society and today's world. And so for her, she just has such a connection to all things spiritual. So being able to lean into her wisdom has definitely been something I would classify as, you know, the intelligent lady who leads me. Next word is bold. Yeah, I'm going to go with Simone Biles. I think that her move at pulling out of the Olympics and being able to say, I'm not well, and I'm not going to put myself at risk, despite the fact that the entire world is watching. And then even for her to be able to get well enough to step back in and to win bronze. I mean, I just think that that's what we need. We need people who are more real like that and who are able to say, I'm not okay right now. And so I'm going to definitely go with her. Next word is innovative. Yeah, nobody's going to know who this is, but I'm going to go with one of my best friends, Irene. Um, She has had a very interesting career in terms of going from politics to now working in a lot of different nonprofits. And I think that just the way that she's gone forward and has used things in the community and has actually networked with people and has been, again, her authentic self in order to change lives has been like a really cool thing that we don't really see very often. And so, yeah, I'm going to go with her. Okay, the last word, supportive. Can I say about therapist? Because she's super supportive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be real, I, I think that when it comes to supportive, I'm, I'm going to always lean into the people that are in my corner. So my friends, my therapist, my family who like gets it and understands and is there for me even when things are hard. So I think that it's so important and I know SK you'll agree with this to have women in your corner strong women of different walks of life who are there to support you as you walk through different seasons and so yeah I would definitely say my therapist when it comes to being someone who is the most supportive person awesome well that ends the leading ladies we love rapid fire game you did great before we head out I always have to ask this you know our, our listeners want to connect with you what is your shameless plug yeah, you guys can find me on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really on any other social media platforms because I have to work in that in my daily life. But if you look up Nicole Dilge, D-I-L-G, and then Beecham, you'll be able to find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. It has just been so encouraging and just powerful um, what you had to share with us today and just speaking your truth. And I just really appreciate you opening up and being vulnerable and and talking about topics that are sometimes not easy to share. And so just thank you so much for uh, giving some insight and, and speaking your truth. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ladies Who Lead podcast. Looking for another way to engage with the Ladies Who Lead podcast? Check out our Instagram and our show notes at the Ladies Who Lead. And don't forget to check out our website, www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.